0: Premier Christian newscast. A new survey of more than a thousand churches has concluded weekly attendance has dropped by about 22% on average since before the pandemic started. Intriguingly, the research also suggests that a large part of this decline is because churches have cut back the number of services they offered during the lockdowns and have not resumed all of these post-COVID. Quote, churches that stayed online and have not reduced their service numbers have fully regained 2019 attendance levels. So what lessons can we draw from this for ministers and pastors struggling to build their congregations back after the lockdowns? What place does online streaming have now there are no restrictions on attending worship anymore? And who are those who drifted away during COVID and have never come back? And should we be mourning their absence in the first place? You're listening to Premier Christian Newscast with me, Tim Wyatt. This week, we're discussing church attendance post-pandemic and the rights and wrongs of Catholic success via bums on seats with Emma Fowl and Megan Cornwell from Premier Christianity magazine. Well, thanks very much for joining us, guys. Um, Emma, people will know, but uh, Megan, this is your first time on Newscast. Do you want to introduce yourself?
1: Hello, everybody. Yes, I'm Megan. I'm Deputy Editor of Premier Christianity Mag. work alongside the lovely Emma, um, supporting Sam. And my main role is commissioning mag features, commissioning and writing mag features.
0: Excellent. Well, really glad to have you on the show at last. Yeah. Um, Today we wanted to talk about uh, post-COVID decline in in church attendance or at least discuss whether that's a thing or not. I'm interested to hear your thoughts. Um, uh, This is kind of prompted by by a really interesting report that came out um, which you might have seen from the Anglican Diocese of Oxford where they did a big survey of about over a thousand churches across five different um, dioceses in in the Church of England and um, concluded that on average, uh, weekly attendance in 2022, the year they looked at, compared to 2019, the last year before COVID, was 22% lower than before. But their big kind of kind of conclusion was actually that there was a really strong correlation between. Churches that um, had had falls in their attendance were the ones that had started cutting the number of services they offered, and actually, if the churches that which had resumed all their regular kind of pre-COVID schedule had actually much more likely to have kind of resumed picked up the numbers again. Um, what, what was your initial kind of response to, to seeing those figures and seeing that conclusion? Were you were you kind of surprised to see that, Emma? I think. Oh, oh, sorry, <laughs> Megan, you go. <laughs>
1: I think um, when I look to the figures, I think at first they do look quite stark, but actually when you delve into them, you know, you have got that 22% compared with the 2019 figures, but actually if you add on the 11% of people viewing church online, um, plus you take into consideration the numbers of people that will have sadly died and, you know, that we've lost from our congregations um, through COVID, I think actually the figures don't look quite so bad um i think also i would i would posit that these figures are showing us the death of nominal christianity um so just anecdotally when i think about friends of mine who haven't returned to church since the since the pandemic they tend to be people who have had a type of cultural christianity you know a faith that's been handed down by their parents um, going to church was a bit of a habit that they did, but they didn't necessarily have a personal faith. Um, and so I think that those those people that were losing from churches tend to be people along who fit that category, people who are of nominal faith. I mean, I don't know if you saw over the weekend, there was a big report in The Telegraph <clears throat> about the the boom in the number of, church, of um, people attending evangelical churches in cities. So I think that those figures, while they they look a bit bleak, actually they're not the bigger picture. You know, evangelical churches um, are thriving. Certainly the evangelical wing of the the Church of England is thriving. Um, And some of those churches were reporting phenomenal numbers, like 60% increases. Um, Let me just find the figures. Yeah, so St Church in East London was... um, was saying that it was sixty percent up pre-pandemic, um, and then the Gas Street in Birmingham, and you know another big evangelical church, HDB, both HDB plants, I believe, again has grown thirty percent since twenty nineteen. So, so I think we've got to to look at those figures in the whole really, and um, try to extrapolate some of the some of the interesting stories from that.
2: Hmm.
0: Emma, what was your response when you looked at some of these numbers coming out of that
2: report? Yeah, I mean, I like on the on the top level, like taking it really surface. You've got to look at it and go, well, it's not rocket science, is it? If you don't, if you're not opening churches as often and you're not running as many church services, you shouldn't be surprised that you're going to be therefore registering less people attending those non-existent church services. <laughs> and I think that's something that people from within the Church of England have been saying for quite some time. Um, last August, I interviewed Nikki Gumble, um, leader of Holy Trinity Bompton Church. We were just talking about that big network of growing successful Anglican churches and he's incredibly passionate about um, trying to get more people back into Bible College to increase the number of priests that we have in the UK, because he's incredibly committed to exactly that idea. His his whole argument is, if you've got these huge rural parishes and over the last 20 years, we've seen them shutting at a rate of knots and vicars having to take over and oversee more and more and more and more numbers of, pa- of churches within a parish, then you shouldn't be surprised that attendance declines because one person looking after eight churches across a 10 mile geographical area that might include, you know, 12 to 15 villages in a rural area, for example, is not going to be able to build as many relationships within the community, get to know the people on the ground, really invest in those in those local communities, and therefore the church is going to decline. So there's certainly voices within the Anglican community who have been saying exactly that for a really long time, who would be looking at this research and going, well, yeah, that, that's what we've been saying. So in some ways... I think it's just kind of maybe confirming what a lot of people will already be thinking. And as they did point out in that report, maybe it's about looking at how the resources are used within the Church of England to ensure that those small community churches do remain open and do remain relevant to their communities but it is a really difficult issue I do appreciate that there's not uh, a magic money tree in the Church of England any more than there is anywhere else and and those are all issues and I think Megan is also right you know I I don't go to a Church of England church I go to an evangelical church we've definitely um, I wouldn't see seen a horrific downfall in attendance since Covid but definitely seen some of those families and and groups at the edges of church uh, that haven't come back that are still maybe participating online and we've certainly got elderly within our church that have not come back into the room but we know are still very much engaged online and some of whom still have genuine health concerns around being in a small space with a lot of people on a Sunday morning families who've maybe got out of the habit you know there's all of those discussions going on about how do families prioritize their time and has COVID really like a kicked in and affected that and how do we get those people re-engaged so there's there's a lot of issues I think to unpack from the back of you know one survey but very much focused at the Church of England churches.
0: Mm. I'm really interested in this idea of of people kind of like the lot as you as you mentioned Megan the lost of nominal or kind of cultural Christians and that there's a kind of habit to church going with some people who weren't necessarily going out of deep passionate theological conviction but because it was kind of the thing they did and then they couldn't do it for about a year or so. And once you lose the habit, there's kind of very little reason to pick it up. Do you think it's that simple? And we should kind of, you know, those of us who would see themselves as more kind of principled—that's that sounds a bit unfair. You know, those of us who are kind of more committed, believing Christians, shouldn't really be that sad about that, because you know, Christianity isn't a habit; it's a faith, after all.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm I'm not too concerned. Where, where you know, if we're looking, if this is what I think it is, which is the loss of sort of lukewarm Christianity, I'm not personally that concerned about it. Um, but i also think that um that you know this the, the looking at the religious nuns is a really interesting area um you know the 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 churches that are growing hcb and others that are attracting gen z um you know young people a lot of those people are people that would have ticked religious nun on the census you know so they're people that are this that are saying we've never really had a faith before we haven't we haven't got that um that handed down faith, that cultural Christianity that many that many have in the UK. Um, and so actually we're finding faith for the first time. We're spiritually open. Uh, we don't we're not religious, but we're spiritually open. And it's those people that are being attracted to those big evangelical churches. And they're the ones that um, have infectious Christianity, you know, who tell their friends about it when they become believers. And that's how these churches grow.
2: <clears throat> Emma.
1: And that's really interesting.
2: Um, you know, after the the survey, uh, the census that came out um, earlier on in the year, we had a number of people writing. Um on the results of that census, which obviously for the first time ever said that less than 50% of the UK population identified as Christians. But it was very interesting to hear the voices that were coming out of the Christian community and the people that were writing for us, um, analysing those results and speaking about them. And Peter Linus in particular from the Evangelical Alliance said exactly what Megan's just expressed, that actually he saw this as a massive opportunity for the church to communicate the good news of Jesus Christ to a huge number of people who you know, the the Evangelical Alliance's last survey, the Talk in Jesus report, estimated that around 6% of the UK population were active, regular churchgoers, compared to over 45% who identified as Christian on the survey. And he said that's a huge um, opportunity, in fact, to reach a massive swathe of the population who identify in some way as having a Christian faith, but that that are not regularly and actively engaged with a church at the moment. So rather than seeing that as a terrible, bad thing, actually, maybe as Christians, that's a really positive thing, that there's this whole, whole group of people that really do want to know more about what the Christian faith is all about.
0: Is But is there actually, is that a bit of a double-edged sword? Because these are people as the kind of, you know, if they fell away quite so quickly because, you know, they didn't want to watch Do Church on Zoom for a few months over lockdown... They might tick the Christian box, but their, but their conception of what it means to be a Christian is clearly quite different to what you or I would would conceive of. And so, rather than seeing them as kind of fertile territory for evangelism, maybe these are actually people who it's quite hard to reach because you could say, you know, do you want to find out about Jesus? I know already. I don't need to be saved. I don't need to to. I don't want to come and join this kind of community of faith you're offering me. I can be a Christian on my own terms, and I'm fine, thank you. That mm. some strikes me that's actually almost a harder sell in some ways.
1: Mm. Yeah, I think, uh, well, I mean, personally, looking at this report, you know, it's talking all about how can we, how can we attract more people to our churches? How can we put on more service? How can we do more to, to encourage growth? And I actually think that's asking the wrong question. I don't think we should be saying, how can we do more? You know, I think the pandemic gave us an opportunity to sit back and recalibrate and think about how things might look different different and what measures we're using to you know for success and I don't think extra services and bums on seats is necessarily what Jesus looks at the church and and decides is successful you know Um, and I think also that idea that we can just put more services on and expect people to come to us just doesn't necessarily work actually Jesus's commission was to go go out go and reach you know those who who don't know anything about me go and find them go and, you know what, what other ways what's the opportunity cost of doing things the same way constantly or adding more services you know and and also what's the spiritual cost to the health of the church I did a big feature on burnout a few months ago and um you know we talked a lot about the spiritual cost of overactivity um you know because that puts a huge burden on leaders and volunteers if every time you add a service you need more volunteers you need more uh you know you're you're asking more of your leaders um and what what's the spiritual um you know yeah I, I just I just think we need to ask those questions and it's quite interesting, isn't it? In the light of things
2: like the Asprey revival, which we've been talking about a lot recently, um, that lots of the reflections that have been coming out about that have been about simplicity, about purity of worship, about humility, about, you know, just seeking the presence of God and, and, and Jesus's face just for the love of God rather than, you know, for what it can produce or performance or for perfection or all of those things. So, yeah, sort of coming off the back of that, of what Megan was just saying, you know, perhaps we've, perhaps we've inadvertently created this form of of Christianity where maybe we've put too much effort and emphasis on these huge productions and these massive services when maybe God Want something else from us? Maybe, you know, like when you, you read about revival and renewal and the history of it, it generally starts in a tiny room with several old ladies praying faithfully. You know, it doesn't generally start with thousands of bodies and loads of man hours and huge production costs and a massive schedule of programming. So, yeah, maybe there's a new way we can look at it. Maybe there's something else that God's wanting from us right now.
0: And I think Megan's point, and you made the same point actually earlier, Emma, about. kind of exhaustion and and you know too few clergy being stretched over too many churches is is really pertinent in the Anglican context in particular because where where this report's coming from is that it's really not particularly realistic to say to clergy that all you got to do is resume you know start up some new services when you know the average particularly in rural areas the average Anglican priest is, is actually in charge of two three sometimes four five six or seven churches grouped together and of course, coming out of after years of kind of, you know, burning the candle at both ends to try and keep the show on the road during the lockdowns to say, and now you need to recruit a whole bunch of new volunteers and try and um, reinvigorate and revive and restore kind of a pattern of Sunday worship in every single one of these churches. It might be helpful, but it's fundamentally unrealistic. And, and loading that expectation onto clergy is probably just going to cause even more, more burnout and exhaustion after they've already been running on empty for years at this point.
1: Yeah. And I think we've also got to remember that there's a lot of um, clergy that are still suffering with long COVID. You know, that hasn't gone away. That's not disappeared. Um, and that's that can be really debilitating.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I mean, there are some parts of the country and I know where my in-laws live where you've literally got. I don't know, four or five parish churches within a couple of miles of each other. No, no further all of which have congregations of maybe 10 to 15 people in them. And they're trying to run services across all of them, literally a mile apart. And it's, it's so hard, especially when they're also historic important buildings that are very much part of the local community. But, you know, there's a part of you that has to ask, is this sensible? to ask 10 people to meet over here at nine o'clock and then to ask the same vicar to run another service an hour later, half a mile up the road for another 10 people. You know, I I don't know. I mean, you know, that, there are so many questions that come out of this report, and I think there are going to need to be some really hard and structural conversations about, like Megan said, how do we measure success in terms of doing church going forward, and and what is it that we want to achieve, and and how do we best fulfill ultimately what what Jesus says the Great Commission is, rather than sort of maybe what we've made church success to look like or sound like over the you know last hundreds of years
0: premier
1: christian newscast premier
0: christian newscast and one of the responses i've heard in in response to this report is kind of coming from people outside of the cv e saying well, this is really a story about the Anglican Church's kind of terminal decline, which has been, has been long in motion for decades before COVID happened, and 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 really the the future is in independent churches. It's in the free churches. That's where the growth and the vitality and the young people are. And and really, as part of this response to this story, is not to try and drum up one last kind of hurrah, but it's for the Church of England to kind of humbly and graciously just kind of hand over the baton and maybe even some of these buildings and some of its resources. To, to other expressions of faith, which aren't kind of so encumbered by what is at this point, you know, nearly maybe half a century of steady decline.
2: Yeah, I, I do agree with that. I would also like to say, I guess, as a sort of bit of defence of the Church of England, like I said, as someone who goes to a, a, a Pentecostal church, that so is not Church of England. I, I don't think there would be many churches in the UK that could hand on heart. You know, there are some exceptions, but I should imagine the majority of bog standard everyday churches have been affected by COVID in some way. And most would probably say hand on heart, but their congregations were not quite back to where they were beforehand. So I don't think it's just a church of England problem um I think you know Covid has has a lot of long-ranging effects that a lot of us are going to be seeing in our church for a long time and you know um I I think it it was Graham Nichols who wrote in the piece for Premier Christian News um, that the impact, especially of trying to bounce back straight away and, you know, not when you start coming back in the room and you start putting on a Sunday morning service, you've immediately got to go back to all the things that you used to have, tea and coffee and children's groups and the nursery and the sound desk. And you need the same number of volunteers, even if you have seen a 25% drop in your congregation numbers. And that does cause strain. And it certainly did cause strain in my church um, when we first started meeting. And I don't think we're quite back to where we were beforehand, if I'm quite honest. Um, So I I don't, but there there are other parts of the church. It's definitely true to say that there are other parts of the church that are are growing, you know, when you look at the long-term trends. But that's a different argument, I guess, from just COVID. And maybe we've just seen COVID accelerate some of that long-term stuff
0: one of the other angles i wanted to pick up on was this which we mentioned briefly was this idea about online online worship church online which which comes up quite a big theme in in this report and there, and the authors of the report the statisticians who wrote it are quite positive about online church and and they kind of argue that you know well without it the decline would be even greater um, but also that it's churches which have kept their kind of online going have, have been a bit more resilient in terms of holding on to people, you know. And I was quite struck by, you know, the average attendance online for a church that does do an online service is 28 people, which is, you know, hardly to be sniffed at. You know, that's it's more than my church gets sometimes in person on on a Sunday. And um, in addition, and many of these are going to be elderly or housebound people, I guess, who who might be worried about COVID or, or wouldn't be coming back in person anyway. Do you think... Churches that shut down the kind of Zoom or the or the YouTube um, service as soon as the lockdowns ended was that a mistake? Was that were people too quick to let go of online and try and go back to like COVID never happened?
1: I think so, personally. I mean, I I think when when we had that online option, it just made me realise how accessible that was for people who had disabilities, people who um, you know wheelchair bound people who have autism who are overwhelmed in um you know big crowded spaces actually it suddenly made church really accessible to those people and you know Jesus was all about the vulnerable he was all about those people who were hard to reach um making sure that they that they heard the message about him and I think it's such a shame that we've sort of reverted back to to old ways of doing things, old typical ways of doing things.
2: Yeah, and even you know, last weekend I I, I had a really heavy cold, so I didn't go to church because especially now it's very inappropriate, isn't it, to sneeze and cough over everybody <laughs> in, in church spaces. So I decided to stay at home. My family went, um, and I watched online, and I thought, isn't this brilliant? Normally, you know, if you're ill even if it's just a one off like a cold, you miss that Sunday. For families that have really young children, I've got several friends. I've got one friend in particular who's got three little boys under five, I think. Crikey, life life is tricky trying to get those into church and control them for an hour. You know, for those types of situations, it's great if sometimes you can't quite make it out the door and you don't have to completely miss out. I do know people who and I think I, I sympathize because I ideally want everybody in the room. I think there is something different about that. You know, when God does something and you're not there physically, it's different and it's it's harder. And sometimes you kind of I think in the in the in the pursuit of ease we kind of go, we want everyone back in the room. That's the ideal. But like Megan said, it's so important for people who can't access that um that to just sort of say we're not going to do that anymore I think I think it is a bit short-sighted um you know we had so many people engaging online over the pandemic and so many people now do that as a way of like kind of almost church shopping don't they like if you're moving to a new area and you want to check a church out or you're not brave enough to go for the first time and you just want to see what happens like so many people still find the actual action of walking into church even if they've heard about God or they're curious about faith and then if they do it's such an unknown that they don't know when to stand up and sit down what's expected who's going to sing who's going to you know being able to watch it online first of all I think is really accessible for people and it it can remove a lot of those boundaries and some of that fear so yeah I think it's a good thing too and it, it should be kept.
0: Isn't the counter argument though that actually one, you know, maintaining an online offering is a whole new team of volunteers and new bunch of technology. It's one thing for your big mega HDV mega churches, they're probably filming anyway, but but for a lot of the kind of average, you know, 50, 70 strong congregation churches, having a having an online stream when it's only might only be five, six, seven people tuning in, you know, less than five percent of the total congregation is a big ask. But also theologically, I I hear quite a lot from pastors saying they don't want people to get the idea that kind of church is is like a service that you can just dial in like Netflix. It's about being a family. It's about communing, literally taking physically communion. But even beyond that, it's about being committed. And there's a temptation to say, if we lower the bar to entry, you can just sit there in your pajamas and and shop around and try church out. You have this kind of in it you have a you lower the entry, you get more people but actually are they the kind of people or have they really bought into the family that you're looking for
2: yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think the, the one one of the biggest problems is it. Yeah, it, it sort of it can become uh, a consumer Christianity, whereas l- although you may be getting what you need, you may be receiving spiritual food, listening to the worship, listening to the word. What you can't do, um, quite often, un- unless churches do manage it really well, um, is contribute as well, and that means that. The body of Christ is missing out on you being there and your contribution. If you have a word of knowledge, if you feel led to pray for someone, if you want to pray for healing for someone, those types of things are much harder to do, obviously. It's not impossible, but it is a lot harder in the average church setting to be able to contribute when you're sitting on your sofa watching. So I do completely agree with that. And like I said, I think my preference would always be that people are there, but I do appreciate what it offers as well um, for, for those who can't access. I don't know how Meghan feels
1: about that. I don't
2: know. <laughs> what you doing, I
1: can see both arguments. Yeah, I can see both arguments, and I. But I think we're having these discussions more broadly, aren't we, in society? I mean, I know organizations are having the same kind of conversations about workplace culture and how do you integrate new you know people that are coming into an organization when it's it's an online only culture there are those questions that you have but I don't think the hurdles are insurmountable I think we can put our heads together and figure out how can we do this in a slightly different way um that still makes church incredibly accessible um you know to people who can't make it in person
0: and there's an interesting line in the report which which makes that kind of Same point, which says, um, you know, churches that are not online might find it increasingly hard to attract newcomers as we now live in a hybrid on-site and online world in many aspects of life, including church. And I guess that's pointing to this idea that we've all become used to doing Zoom meetings at work, and we might even have people in our teams in our offices who we've never actually met. And and if churches are kind of the lone institution that says, nope, you just have to come in person or you don't get to be part maybe some of these particularly younger christians younger younger british people are going to be like well that's not really doesn't really chime with actually how my life works in 2023 and we and we don't want the church to get left behind
1: yeah i totally agree and i think actually this this is an area of potential for massive growth because we've seen that over the pandemic we saw huge numbers of people tuning on online to online services many of whom had never been to church before so that tells us something doesn't it it tells us that this is a this is an air this is ripe this is an area um of harvest potentially of of people who may never have been to church before never you know just if fascinated about faith want to know a bit more about faith but from the safety and comfort of their own home without as emma said having to kind of you know build up the confidence and courage to walk through the doors and actually that i think that's worth exploring
0: and that taps into the last point i wanted to wanted to cover this 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 episode which is there was a lot of talk you might remember in the early days of the pandemic some of us i'll admit even wrote features about whether the pandemic was going to inspire a wave of kind of interest in faith and kind of and prompt people who previously never paid any interest to jesus and, and the gospel to actually kind of reconsider and then on the flip side we now on the other side people are saying oh no it actually was very scarring spiritually and some people got burned out on faith entirely and chucked in being a christian because of the pandemic with a bit of distance now we're several years out of lockdown i would interested to know your guys thoughts on are both those stories true? Are neither of them true? <laughs> like, where do we stand on kind of the spiritual impact of of COVID? Do you think on people's faith lives? It's
1: a good question. Very <laughs> good question. question. I think good it's question. both, and <laughs> <laughs> I think it's both. I think I think leaders have got really burned out. Um, and I, you know, I I I did a bit of research for for a feature on on burnout, and that's what they were telling me. You know, all of them were affected by what happened. Um, and I think you know there's this there's this idea of collective trauma isn't there and I think actually we do need to recognize that like the the whole everybody has been through a collective trauma over these last few years and that's impacted everyone in different ways and we've all had very very different experiences some of us got very sick some of us um, were very lonely some of us had relatives who died Um, some of us found being at home really hard you know we've all Struggled in different ways, and that will have brought up all kinds of questions that we would hopefully have brought to God and sort of try to work through that with God. So I think I think everyone's been on a, in a on a kind of different journey with that, but I do think leaders in particular have 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 struggled with burnout just because of the sheer amount of extra work that they had to do during the pandemic. You getting everything um, pivoting to online, um, the move away from being able to rely on volunteers to sort of a a, a centralized, you know, system that was reliant on them, I think they did really struggle. But I think also, all of us kind of felt that, well, I certainly felt that, do you know what, you suddenly kind of jump off the ferret, the the roundabout, and you realize going at 100 miles per hour, you know, I no thanks, (laughs) I don't really want this anymore. (laughs) And I think a lot of people realize that. So it, it personally, it took me a long time to take those steps back to signing up for rotors, <laughs> signing up to, you know, do X, Y, and Z at church. And actually my approach has been, I'm just going to sign on for the things I really want to do, because that's the stuff that I'm going to be passionate about, that I'm going to have joy in serving. You know, I'm not just going to sign up for every rotor because they need people on kids' work or whatever. I'm going to do the stuff that I feel God's calling me to. Um, and that and that has partly come from the pandemic and just thinking, thinking about the priorities in life, really. Emma? I'm not sure I have an answer to that question.
2: I was trying to cast my mind back and I was thinking about actually the last time, like Megan was saying about us going through sort of collective trauma as a nation and when the last time that would have been. And I can guess that probably it was the Second World War. And it was interesting because... During that time, there was sort of these high moments of faith, you know, uh, in particular us all being called together for a national day of prayer um, before the the Dunkirk um, removal of troops and and things like that. C.S. Lewis being commissioned to um, do all that big series of radio talks. So there there is this thing, isn't there, in in us as humans, that in, in a time of crisis, this latent spirituality rises to the surface. But it's interesting, you know, on the back of what we've been talking about today that probably if you looked back over history, you'd say the Church of England has been in decline ever since, you know, the baby boomer generation are probably the, the one that, that moved the fastest and the, the heaviest away from faith and, and produced subsequent generations of which I'm one who were not raised with any faith at all. God's still God, and God will still do what God wants to do, won't He? And and perhaps that's where we are right now, where we as a as a Christian community are faced with the lowest levels of of active Christians in the UK that we've we've known since recorded time, um, probably not ever, but you know in, in recent modern history. And looking across the pond at things like aspirin saying where 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 are you going to move next, God? What can we do? Like how can we pray? So it's kind of hard. I don't I don't I don't think we're far enough away yet to really look back and see what the results are. I think all of the things we've been talking about today are true, and everything that Megan said you know is, is definitely true. That there's been so much burnout, so much pain, so many people still processing stuff. I'm still praying that in that processing that people turn to God and that we as a church community can play our part in helping people to continue to deal with the fallout of whatever it felt was that they felt that they still have to process as a result of COVID.
0: Hmm. I do wonder whether you know, our our generation, if I could lump us all in together, you know, this is going to be somewhat of a defining experience over the next 50, 60 years of our lives that we will still kind of call back to those few years in the early 2020s when we went through this collective trauma, like you called it, Megan, together. And it is going to be something that, as, as you say, I mean, we need a lot more time to process and really s- step back and, and let maybe the church historians who come after us really decide what, what, what happened there. I mean... I did history at university, and I always like to do the big zoom out and see that actually, you know, you're right, the decline didn't set in in 2019, it kicked in basically since the 50s and 60s. But then even more, if you zoom out even further, I've read stuff by church historians saying, actually, there were periods in the 18th century, in the 1700s in this country, where church going was as rare as it is today. You know, even during an era that we presume everyone was kind of nominally Christian, but you know the 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 anglican church pews were just as empty as they were today and then there was a series of revivals kicked off by people like the wesleys and methodism and then evangelicalism in the 1800s that saw a kind of peak during the kind of late victorian era and so you know who knows where where god's hand is in all this i guess is my point you know i find it weirdly encouraging actually to zoom out and see that other generations of the church have been through traumas and been through peaks and troughs before and you know a few, a small remnant, stay faithful, and maybe the Spirit does something, maybe starting in Asbury, who can tell? Let's call it an end there before I start preaching. Um, (laughs) Thanks so much, Megan and Emma. It's been great to talk about some of these ideas with you both and hear your reflections on that. Um, uh, And thanks everyone else for listening. Hope it's been useful. Um, We'll speak to you again next week. Bye-bye. That's it for this week's Premier Christian Newscast. But if you've enjoyed what you've heard, please do leave us a review on whatever podcast app you use. And why not also tell a friend about the show? Don't forget to also subscribe to the podcast on your phone or tablet to ensure that you receive each episode automatically sent to your device week by week. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Premier Christian Newscast.